Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's such a blessing to be a part of the body of Christ. My name's Mason Stewart. I serve our community as pastor of discipleship. And today, Christ is going to continue to build us, to move us deeper. Today, we begin six weeks together in the book of Colossians in a series called Christ the Builder. Christ the Builder. The title for this series is inspired by Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 18, where he says, I will build my church. Although that idea is certainly present in Colossians, that Christ is God's agent of building his church, and we're going to see that today. If the book of Colossians is about anything, it's about Christ. And we believe that God has led us to conclude the year, our focus on bodybuilding with this series, because we've talked about a lot of things this year related to bodybuilding. But what is most important for us to remember and keep in mind is who it is that actually does the building. Christ is the builder. Now, we're not passive. We're fully engaged, but he is the essential active ingredient that brings the growth of God. Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul when he was imprisoned to a church of Gentiles in a place called Colossae. Paul does not personally know these Gentiles, but he received a report about them from a co-worker named Epaphras. Epaphras was a Colossian himself, and in fact, he planted the church there. And he brings a report to Paul that as we read the letter, we can discern this report must have had some good news in it, as well as some bad news. The good news is that a community of Gentiles in Colossae had received Christ as Lord and the gospel was bearing fruit in their lives. That's good. The bad news is that the confidence that they had in Christ when they began this journey had begun to now weaken. And these Gentiles had begun entertaining what Paul and Epaphras both know is a mere human and empty way of trying to build up themselves instead of relying on Christ, the builder. And so, Paul, there in prison, responds to this report by writing this letter that we call Colossians which has two main parts to it. In the first part, related to the good news that they've received Christ, what Paul wants to do is he wants to affirm what they've received about Christ. He affirms them. That's 1, 3 through 2, 5. And then related to the bad news, in the second part of the letter, Paul exhorts them. 
And he commands them, just as you started, continue to walk in Christ. Now this graphic comes from an overview that we, the teaching team, with the help of Haley Boren, our communications director, have prepared for you. We've prepared this for you because this overview, which is in the back of the sanctuary on the offering boxes, what it will do is give you quickly a grasp of the book as a whole. So as we go through this book over the next six weeks and dive into these passages, you'll understand where you are in the book and how that particular passage relates to the book as a whole. So we wanted to create this document to encourage us to engage in this book deeply together as a community over these next six weeks. So I encourage you, grab one on your way out. Now the heart of this letter to the Colossians is in 2, 6, and 7, and I'll throw 8 in as a bonus. This is the bridge between the two halves of the letter. It's the hinge that brings it all together. He says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up. There it is, built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Now, another way to think about what Paul is doing here in his letter to the Colossians is that he focuses on two basic ways that we relate to God. In the first half of the letter, he focuses on our knowing. He wants to speak to our minds, what goes on up here. And in the second half of the letter, he focuses on our walking. That's a phrase he likes to use. It really means how we live, how we move through life. And there's an emphasis on our ethics. Are we walking in the ways of God? So in the second half of the letter, he focuses on what goes on down here. Now this book opens with Paul's report of his prayer for the Colossians. And within this prayer, what we're going to find is that Paul has condensed this whole letter into one sentence a beautiful microcosm of the letter as a whole. We're going to see that today, and it's going to be a great way for us to begin to get our feet wet as we understand what God wants to say to us through this letter. And that Paul begins with prayer reminds us also of the importance of prayer every time we engage with God's Word. So before we even begin reading this letter... Let's come together in prayer before our Father. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We love to glory in who you are, to glorify your name. 
And we love your word. You have the words of life. And so we come together, we sit at your feet, we listen for your voice, and we pray that this act of worship, too, would be pleasing to you. We ask that you'd speak to us, penetrate our hearts and our minds, transform us, guide us, empower us to walk in all the more that you want for us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And so we begin to read the letter of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of God. Now, as we begin this journey into the book of Colossians, Christ the Builder, we're going to start by looking at this passage through the lens of some foundation problems. See, Christ wants to build us, but sometimes we have a hard time cooperating. We're going to consider two foundation problems today. And what I mean by that is problems related to our knowing, what goes on up here, and problems related to our walking, what goes on down there, and specifically the relationship between the two. 
Problem number one, neglecting the priority of the foundation. I came across this quotation this week from a Christian leader who's now deceased, but I think that this quotation represents a common sentiment that I've heard from many Christian leaders. He says, it's not about knowing, but about living. Now, I don't know how that quotation strikes you. I think there's a part of me that wants to say, yeah, because he's emphasizing the importance of the Christian life. But I think that there's another part of this quotation that can be dangerous. Do, do we have to take knowing what goes on up here and walking what goes on down there and set them in a dichotomy where they're competing against one another? Is that a healthy and good thing to do? Whenever we put knowing and walking in a competition, we're going to choose walking and we're going to belittle the importance of knowing. Now, I don't think Christian leaders that speak in this way have any sort of bad intentions. I think they have good intentions. They want to assert the importance of actually living what we believe. But when we go so far as to pit it against the importance of what goes on up here, it's actually short-sighted because it, what it does is it ends up being self-sabotaging. When we belittle the importance of knowing, especially over time, what it will start to do is destabilize our walking. Our walking will start to get a little shaky, a little wobbly, when we forget about the gospel, when we forget about the importance of Christ. This happens in individuals and it also happens in traditions. Over time, things start to get shaky when the importance of knowing is belittled. Think about it this way. I don't know if you've ever been hiking in Pine Mountain. It's a lot of woods out there. When you park, when you get on the trail, you better know where you're going. They've got little blazes every couple of trees. They might be white or they might be blue, but they help you stay on the trail. You cannot hike and make it to your destination if you don't know where you're going. You might get tired too, and you need to remember why you're out there and what is the destination that you're trying to reach. We can't run a race if we don't know the course. Now, Paul, his main concern related to these Colossians is not about their walking. He knows that's just a symptom. What he's concerned about is related to their knowing, that their confidence in Christ had begun to weaken. And so they were vulnerable to then walk in a different direction. 
And so he wants to speak to their mind. He wants to affirm what they have come to learn about the gospel. And he knows that is going to then lead them to walk faithfully in Christ. Because, brothers and sisters, knowing is foundational for walking. It's easy to take for granted the foundation that lies beneath you. But knowing strengthens, supports, and directs our walking. Now this is demonstrated in the very design of Colossians. When you look, Paul spends the first half of the letter speaking to their minds. And he often does that. He does that in many of his letters where he devotes the first half to what goes on up here because he knows that's the foundation. This is also seen in that microcosm of the letter as a whole. You might call this a thesis statement of Colossians where he begins to talk about his prayer. And he says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what exactly are we to know? Well, Paul talks about a couple of different things here that we'll talk about as we go along. But the basics is what Epaphras shared with these Colossians, the moment when God began to work in their life. He shared with them the basics about the gospel, what God had done in Christ for them. We can't go too deep into this because we've got six weeks and we're going to dive deeper into the gospel, but I do want to begin to open up that can of worms today. There's a lot here, but if Paul, he begins to unpack it here. So let's talk about it. He, he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He also uses a phrase, bearing fruit and increasing in verse 10. And he also uses that in verse 6. So as we piece these things together, we can come up with how Paul wants to present this message here. This is one way to look at it. But this phrase, bearing fruit and increasing, is a subtle allusion to Genesis 1, to the original calling of humanity where God created us like him in his image and gave us a call to bear fruit and increase and spread across the creation. And everywhere we go, we're his representatives and we live in harmony with his will and bring his kingdom across the creation. That's our calling as humans. And then we get to Genesis 3 a story which we've all lived out on our own, where we didn't just live in happy harmony with God, as great as that would have been. Paul talks about these sins that we have, and somehow we ended up in the domain of darkness. 
We rebelled against God. We had our own ideas about what's good that benefited us. And we, our relationship with him was hindered. We were separated from him. And we became enslaved to spiritual authorities that exercised their authority independently from God. And instead of receiving his good intentions for creation, they worked the opposite in our lives. It's the domain of darkness instead of light. And it ends in death. But God, through the Son, eliminated the leverage that these authorities had over us so that we could be delivered. He says we are redeemed. We're literally bought back. We're delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into his family. That's why there's all this familial language, brother, and God is our father. We're in his family, which makes us co-inheritors with the son of God's kingdom. God has done something great in Christ. And so the son, in the very next verse, in verse 15, Paul is going to call him the image of God. See, we were created in God's image, but he's the image in which we were made. He's the real deal. He is the fulfillment of what it means to be human. And he is how God will spread his kingdom across the creation. In the time to come when it's fully consummated, but also now, as we are in Christ in God enables us to walk again according to our original call. Through the Son, the kingdom starts to come in our hearts and through our lives as we touch the world around us. This is the basics of the gospel. And I hope you can see the gospel makes significant claims about God, who he is, about us, about what our identity is, what our purpose is, what our core problem is, and what our soul solution is. And all of these things are centered upon Christ. And so as we sit with this message, and we take it seriously, we think about the claims that it makes, the gospel starts to chart the course for us to run our race. It's important that we know this message deeply. So rather than belittle the importance of knowing, let's value it. Time spent seeking to cultivate our understanding is not a waste of time. It's not unspiritual to study the word. It's important. So let's value it. Let's not neglect the priority of the foundation on which we stand. A problem number two, neglecting the purpose of the foundation. This is a beautiful slab of concrete. But the purpose of a foundation, the real value comes out 
when you build a structure on it, such as the ones in the background. I don't know if you can see them. That's when the foundation really shines, when you build something on it and it fulfills its purpose and you can enjoy living in that house. And so, yes, we do not want to belittle the importance of what goes on up here. But we also want to acknowledge that knowing is foundational for walking. It's for walking. This is also demonstrated in the design of Colossians, that Paul begins by speaking to our minds, but he doesn't stop there in chapter 2, verse 5. He goes on to then say, this is what it then means for how you live. And we see it in his opening prayer when he says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The purpose of his prayer about their knowing is for their walking. Now he says, filled with the knowledge of God's will. This is even a deeper level of knowing. When we know the basics of the gospel, what God has done in Christ, and we sit with them, and we sit with them long enough, we start to realize God has not done all this in vain. He's not acting aimlessly. He has something he wants for us through all of this. He has acted in Christ because he has a specific plan to take us from here and to bring us here. God has a will for us in the gospel. And we don't just come to know it so that we can begrudgingly submit to it. Paul prays that we would understand it with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Meaning that we also see the beauty of it the rightness of it, the goodness of what God wants for us. And so when you come to this level of knowing, you can hardly help but walk in Christ because you see it's beautiful and good. Now, this idea that this is all for the purpose of walking, this is the concern of those Christian leaders like the one that I quoted in the beginning. They want to emphasize the importance of living. But instead of doing it in a self-sabotaging way, where we belittle the importance of knowing, which is just going to cause problems for what we want in the end, we need to observe that there's a synergy between knowing what goes on up here and walking what goes on down there. They work together. And there's a purpose in the one that leads to the other. This is very important. So brothers and sisters, as we go along and God continues to build us in Christ throughout the rest of our lives, but also through this next six weeks, as we spend this time together in Colossians, let us resolve that all of this 
that we want to live the life that God wants for us. We want to see the more that God wants to, for us be realized in our lives so that we can enjoy his good intentions for us and for creation as we begin to influence the world around us. We want to see the whole thing, our knowing fulfilled in our walking. Now, even if we give ourselves to cultivating our knowing and that we're diligent to ensure that we walk in his ways, there is an even deeper, broader problem that can derail the whole project if we're not careful. That is, if we do all this and continue to presume that we ourselves are the builder. Christ is the builder. And we are utterly dependent on him. Salvation, spiritual growth comes from him. He is the essential active ingredient on which we depend. Now, that doesn't mean we're passive and this is all automatic. We're all in, but we utterly depend on him. Amen. And that's why we believe God has led us to conclude with this series, Christ the Builder. For us to recognize he is the one who builds us up. We can never forget that. And that means that we need to view knowing and walking as ways in which we relate with God in a manner of dependence. This is a relational undertaking. This is not something we do on our own in our own strength. This is all about relationship. Paul is clear about this. Look, he prays that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. Knowing the growth of our mind in Christ, it comes from him. It's derived from God. And also, knowing is aimed toward God. In verse 10, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Because even when we learn the basics of the gospel and we come to understand God's will for us, an even deeper level of knowing than that is getting to know God himself. That there is a divine person, three divine persons behind all of this. We have a creator, one who cares for us, one who wants the best for us. It's about getting to know him. The same is true of walking. Now this phrase, walking worthy of God, that can be intimidating, but it does not at all mean that we try to live up to God's standards by our own resources. That would be to miss the point. Paul is going to refute that in chapters two and three. To walk worthy of the Lord means to not waste what he's done for you. He's given you a wonderful gift, and it means to embrace it and draw upon it. He says, 
that we walk this way because we're being empowered with all power according to his glorious might. That's a lot of power. So walking too is derived from him. It's not something we can do on our own. Walking is also aimed toward him. As we walk in this way and he bears fruit in our lives and we live according to his good intentions, what does it say? Fully pleasing to him. So when we embrace this gift and we live into it, he's pleased with that. He likes that. (laughs) And so we live for an audience of one as we embrace this gift and live before him. Prayer, at its richest, is a back and forth with God, where we listen for him to speak words of life to us, and then we also share our hearts with him. So it's a back and forth conversation with God. And the way that we need to think about what goes on up here and what goes on down there is that our whole life can become a living prayer where we're living in such a way where we're dependent on his grace to shape our thoughts and to direct our lives, and we're living back to him with what he's given us. We can also see that the context of this whole passage is a literal prayer. Paul is reporting how he is praying for the Colossians. And that reminds us we cannot attempt this life outside of that kind of prayer. If we want our life to be a living prayer, it's going to begin with literal talking to God, depending on him. And so let's do that together now. As we've come, we've heard from the Lord, let's enter into a time of prayer before we leave this place. I want to call up the prayer team, please come, take your positions. You may, if you have your journals, you may want to journal about what God has spoken to you today. You may want to journal a prayer of response to him about the more that he has for you. I'd also encourage you, come up to the altars These prayer warriors are such a blessing. They're a means of grace. So come and receive a blessing. Share with them your need. They would love to go to the Father on your behalf. Do you want God to fill you with a deep knowledge of the gospel, with the knowledge of his will, with getting to know God himself? How might he be leading you to be intentional so that you position yourself so he can fill you? What are you nourishing when it comes to the life of your mind? Do you want to walk in Christ to no longer partner with the domain of darkness? Do you want God's kingdom to flood your heart? 
where you are walking in harmony with his will, experiencing his good intentions for you. And not only for you, but through you, as you begin to touch the world around you and the world get to experience a taste of the kingdom of God. Do you want your life to be a living prayer where every day you are receiving God's grace and living it back to him? Come to him, brothers and sisters. Because the whole point of all of this is that God wants all of this for us. That's his will. And he is able to build all of this into our lives. Christ is the builder. And through our lives into the world around us, in our homes, in our workplaces, with our friends, we want the kingdom of God. Come to him.